Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. My co-host is Jim DeRiganis. And if you want to be the first to hear our bonus podcast, become a Sound Opinions member on Patreon like Scott Moore. We appreciate Scott's support and all of you out there who are listening to the show. Uh, now, as you know, we usually do a bonus podcast here of some sort, usually involving a Desert Island jukebox yeah. pick, but this week we've got something special for you. Well, right, we're, we're uh, turning the mic over, uh, Greg, to two of my students. Sound Opinions is supported, uh, in addition to our Patreon supporters, by the Goldschmidt Foundation, a wonderful organization here in Chicago that is very concerned with the arts and with criticism (laughs) and education. You know, I teach reviewing the arts at Columbia College Chicago. I had the opportunity to help award three scholarship awards from the Goldschmidt Foundation that will go towards students' tuition. It was me and my former Sun-Times colleague Lloyd Sachs, who teaches a section of reviewing the arts, and you were the final arbiter. We were the three-judge panel. So much fantastic work that I got over the course of the semester that Lloyd got. It was hard to choose the winners. But uh, we are going to highlight two of the three winners. We're going to post all of their reviews. One was a theater piece, but two were music. We're going to put links to all three of those uh, scholarship winning reviews in the show notes on the website. Uh, You'll be able to read them in full. And as I said, we're going to turn over the mic to two of the best young critics, writers, passionate students of the arts that I've had the pleasure to teach. Hallie Noonan and Nick Vasquez when we come back. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. Greg, we're doing something fun. We're talking to the critics who one day will replace us. (laughs) (laughs) And many people instantly say, that can't come soon enough. That day cannot come soon enough. That's right. First up, Greg, is Nick Vasquez, who uh, chose a record you love, Towns Van Zandt's Mm -hmm. self-titled album, right? I'm just fascinated that a young music lover from Kentucky is writing about this record that was, you know, released decades before he was born. No, it warmed my heart to see a Columbia student writing about an artist who I think a lot of people have not heard of, and uh, fantastic to get that insight from a young student. Absolutely. Here's Nick. Nick, congrats on this scholarship win. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're most welcome. You worked hard all semester in reviewing the arts. You're an excellent writer. Before you talk about the record you reviewed, I could have chosen any of the reviews you wrote this semester, but this record was special and the review seemed special. Tell us where you came from, what what you're majoring in, what you hope to do, man. So I'm from Kentucky, a small 3,000-person town called Hodgenville. If anybody happens to have heard of it somehow, it would probably be because it's the birthplace of Abe Lincoln. And if you go there, you will know that it really? is the, yes, you will know that it is the birthplace of Abe Lincoln by the myriad businesses branded Lincoln. Them's fighting words in Springfield, Nick. Oh, I'm sure. I've, I've been seeing Lincoln statues. I can't <laughs> escape them. I can't escape them. Yeah. What brought you to Chicago from a small town in Kentucky? I just always wanted to live in the city. You know, it was the opposite of what my life was in Kentucky, which was, mm-hmm. you know, very much so. Um, surrounded by fields and, you know, just small rural sort of mentality. And so the allure of the city was always just something that captivated me and that I wanted to pursue. And so Chicago was relatively close by, five and a half hour drive about. Columbia looked like a good school, so I went for it. What are you majoring in? I forget. Creative writing. 
uh, with a concentration in poetry. Oh, oh, wow. Well, the drunken clown's still hanging around, but it's plain the laughter's all died down. The tears he tried so hard to hide are flowing. And a blind man with his knife in hand has convinced himself that he understands. I wish him well, Miss Carousel. So you reviewed Towns Van Zandt's self-titled debut, 1969. You were born when, my friend? 2001. 2001. (laughs) Decades before. I was a little bit late, yeah. You know, fairly obscure Texas singer-songwriter, revered by people who know him, right? Probably not getting played on the radio in Kentucky. No, I I never encountered a Towns Van Sant song on the radio or even really out in the wild. It was my grandmother who introduced me to Towns Van Sant. Wow, that's a hip grandma. Yeah. What did she like about him? I think the moroseness of a lot of his writing sort of got to her. He, um, just the raw emotionality and, and the detail of his writing, I think is enough to draw anyone in. And she, I guess, was onto him as he was putting on music, so... All the better for me. You write about that in your review. You review the album fairly early in the class, and I will admit I was a little bit worried about you. You wrote that Van Zant evokes bleak despair, singing, I got me a friend at last. He don't drink or steal or cheat or lie. His name is Codeine. He's the nicest thing I've seen. I was like, uh-oh. You okay, man? <laughs> I'm just worried for Towns. I'm just worried for Towns. But, I mean, he had a gift for... Very succinct tragedy, I think. Just in one or two lines, he could captivate or evoke this whole sort of lifetime of despair, of hardship. And so what he does in those lines, I think, is is incredible. And he does that many a time throughout the album. Is this your favorite of his records? Yes. Why is that? Because, I mean, he's just warming up. He's just starting. Yeah, I, I think that he was eager. I think that he was hungry, and I think that he wanted to correct things, because this is it's his third album, but out of the ten tracks on there, four of them are actually songs that appeared on previous albums, his two before. And in fact, the first song on this album, um, for the sake of the song, was the title track of his first album. And so I think that making that the first song on this one is sort of a statement. He was sort yeah. of taking ownership over his own writing, because... A lot of the songs that appeared previously had this sort of studio gussied up um, sound to them. They were a lot more elaborate. There were a lot more instruments involved. And so he's sort of more stripped back on this. And he's presenting you with, I think, a more authentic portrait of himself. Oh, that's really well said. And you're too kind to the professor because I screwed up. I said it was his debut album. And and I'm betraying my own lack of uh, knowledge of Towns. I mean, it's pretty much Poncho and Lefty. And you're allowed to say what I'm wrong, my friend. (laughs) Then on she goes to say I don't care all she knows. That I do Maybe she just has to sing For the sake of the song And who do I think that I am To decide that she's wrong You write of the production really well. That opening song, For the Sake of the Song, serves up the spare blueprint Van Zandt adheres to across the whole record. The maxim is clear. Give Van Zandt and his guitar center stage and get everything else the fuck out of the way. Yep. Why does that that appeal to you? You know, it's strange because I'm not inherently against 
whenever a singer-songwriter is sort of known for simplicity, goes in a more elaborate route. I think that there's something really exciting about Leonard Cohen's album that's produced by um, Phil Spector, for example. It's sort of wow. a strange, it's a strange album, and I wouldn't say it's his best. No, it's so overproduced, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I just sort of have an innate curiosity about that kind of thing. But with Towns Van Zant, the more unadorned he is, just the more he strikes deeper, I think. He was a dude who made a name for himself in bars, in Texas dive bars and clubs, just singing on stage with his guitar yeah. plucking away. And I think that that's what this album captures better than his earlier efforts, and even better than some of his late efforts as well. Fighting fighting to get away from the system that would have tamed him. Yes. What I love about both your review and Hallie's is you guys do not give up your critical ear just because you're overall a fan of the two records you wrote about. You wrote, Nick, there are moments to be sure when Van Zant, whose romanticism is palpable in nearly every track, approaches sap. However, his stark delivery and keen appetite for sorrowful detail mostly succeed in blunting any tendencies toward cheesiness. Yeah, Van Zant was a romantic, and he was unapologetic about that, and it's an aspect of his music that I like a lot. But just as with anything... Uh, as with anybody sh sort of shooting for the big targets, the wide targets of romance and heartbreak, it's very easy to lean into either cliche or just to sort of venture into a more sort of sappy arena than one would want to hear, especially when you're writing something that's very personal, as Towns Van Zandt did. I think that the album gets away with a lot of that, and I think that, again, it being a country music album sort of helps because country music is so sentimental and often very melodramatic. It is something that appears on the record, and I think that the one song that I singled out, um, Colorado Girl, as sort of being a victim of that, is just sort of a... I, I think it just sort of lacks the vividity that a lot of his other songs have, and that is so strongly evoked on multiple tracks. All right. So, Nick, you uh, last question. You started the review by writing about a movie that really captured uh, towns uh, that I've never seen. Tell us about that. It was kind of a two for this review. Great album review and giving us uh, a heads up to a movie it sounds like we should all watch. Right. So his appearance in the movie Heartworn Highways, which is a 1976 movie by director James Zalapsky. It opens with him walking onto frame with an open whiskey bottle sort of in the crook of his arm. He's got a dog walking around by his side, and he's got a BB can and Coke in one hand. And with his, his free hand, he just takes off his cowboy hat, and he speaks directly to the camera, and he tells us all what we already know, which is that he's Towns Van Zandt. Wow, okay. Yeah, it's just sort of a beautiful introduction to the man and the sort of ethos that he created around himself. And he's really not in the movie very much. It's, it's looking at that whole scene that was developing around Austin and in Texas around that time, the late 60s and the early 70s. And so he's just one of many sort of figures in country music that we see along the way. It just encapsulates so much about the man and his brand of personality. I'm going to have to watch that. Sounds like what Jonathan Richmond was to something about Mary. Yeah, I think he made the strongest impression of anybody in the movie, for me at least. All right, next we've got Hallie Noonan. I had not heard of the band Florist. She made me a convert. That's what a good review does. Here's Hallie. Open your eyes and see what we have. 
Hallie, tell us about yourself. I'm going to be a senior at Columbia. I'm majoring in music business and double minoring in pre-law and journalism. And outside of school, um, I make music. I'm in a band. I want to talk about the band in a bit, but you reviewed If Blue Could Be Happiness, self-released, I guess, on Bandcamp, right, by a group called Florist? Yes, I believe it was initially released on Bandcamp and then picked up by Double Double Whammy Records. Hmm. Emily Sprague is the the main writer, kind of like the visionary of the whole project. And she just does such a great job of really capturing that idea of creating as an act of surrender, you know, taking all of your trials and tragedies and forming them into this creative mold to truly make sense of life. I would really attribute her as the reason that I started making music. Really? Okay. Yeah. The reason you started making music, how did you discover Emily? See, that's a great question. I want to say probably just one day when I was scrolling through Spotify, you know, in that deep hole of fans also like, and then fans also like, fans also <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I would say I found her probably my sophomore year of high school. So that would have been like 2016. It's good to know those algorithms work for someone because Cotton and yeah. I have talked about this. You know, I mean, in a given week, we may be reviewing Kendrick Lamar and uh, Florence and the Machines latest and doing a deep dive on Exile on Main Street. And the algorithm's brains are just fried. And so they recommend K-pop. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's hit or miss for sure. As with Nick, I was a little worried about you because you're writing about that amid the darkness, Emily is trying to express gratitude for life's mysteries. And you quote uh, a lyric, if you're terrified of living like me, I hope you'll be fine because we're terrified together in this terrifying time. Why'd that speak to you? Mind you, this album was 2017, before the end of the world that had us all on Zoom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Obviously, there is a lot of darkness in this record, but I feel like it's kind of that idea of, you know, when you're really stressed out or really sad and someone kind of just embraces you and goes, okay, let's take a deep breath. And then you suddenly just feel like some weight come off of you. That's kind of what this album feels like for me. Just life is scary. There is so much darkness and mystery, but there's community to make mm. sense of it. You're not alone in that. And she also pulls from a lot of aspects of nature to try and make sense of things. I can tell she just has a very critical mind, I guess. Let's try and piece things together to try and make sense of it. And she does that really through all of her creation. You also betray your training as a musician. Mm -hmm. You know, you say that at times the production's so laid back, it could be easily mistaken for coffee shop music. Again, like Nick, that critical ear. However, among the brush drumming, humming organ pad, and acoustic drums, Sprague politely requests attentive listening. I love the organ pad. I love that you know the difference between brush drums and, uh, uh, I say this as a drummer, you know, and, and my four on the floor, Tommy Ramone. Does it help? to be a musician when you're reviewing music? It does, but it doesn't. Because I feel like I can never just listen 
to music for the sake of listening and not be like, oh, why did they mix this to the left that way? Or why, why'd they choose to like knock off the high end, you know? Yeah. I have a very sensitive ear to that kind of stuff. I think it really helps in the sense like I can learn so much from everything that I hear. I know like, okay, this is a really cool production style. Maybe I can incorporate this in my next song, or I know I don't like this, so mm -hmm. I don't want to do this in my music. But I think it's like helped me appreciate it all the more just because I know I mean, I'm still very early in my production career, I guess. So I know how hard it is, you know, to... Yeah, I, I've always said, you know, I've never been a musician. I'm merely a drummer. I think that having toured and made records and, and been a musician my whole life, it makes me, if anything, a harsher critic. Because right. like, like, get out of the way. If you have nothing to say, why are you wasting uh, my time? There are so many musicians who deserve to be listened to. It is such a tough... Uh, uh, thing to get an audience to be heard like don't waste our time get another hobby absolutely <laughs> exactly guys did a lot of peer editing, Nick and, and Hallie. Uh, have you listened to Hallie's music, Nick? Yes, a little bit. And I've poked around her website. And I've also read some of her poetry as well. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we are, you know, uh, everybody's a critic. What do you think of uh, Hallie's music? I think Hallie's got all the promise in the world. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I told you, Hallie, I don't listen to my students' music when they say I, I, I'm in a band. I, I've recorded this until like the end of class. But mm -hmm. uh, since one of my other classes, somebody wrote about you, I, I did listen. And, and I love it. I, I think you've got a lot of Brian Eno in there in terms of uh, ambient and ethereal production. Thank you. Doing, doing good stuff. Uh, and you say you're in a band as well as doing... Now, the solo project is your name spelled backwards, which I can't pronounce. <laughs> yeah, that would be Isla. So E-I-L-L-A-H. All right, so Hallie becomes Isla. And you've got a bunch of music on the web uh, under Isla. And then you're also in a band? Yes, I'm in a band. Um, it's kind of Midwest emo. So love or mm. hate <laughs> sort okay. of thing. Yeah, just really represents the Peoria DIY scene, the type of stuff that goes on here. Uh, we're called Fujiko, so F-U-J-I-K-O. We're working on our debut record right now. We have an EP out as well. You guys are both ridiculously busy and enormously <laughs> yes. talented. Thank I just you. want you both to remember, you know, when, when you're running the world, like take pity on the old man and like throw me some work, you know, <laughs> oh give me, God. give me a freelance assignment, oh, you know. Come on, <laughs> come on now. Put you on my shoulders so that you could get a better view. You said the show was great. 
So congratulations to Hallie Noonan and Nick Vasquez for the Sound Opinions Prize, uh, the Goldschmidt Foundation called it. Greg, we've been doing this three decades. We've got a prize now. An award has been named after us. Sound of it. Thank you. Thank you to the uh, foundation and thank you to those students. Thanks as always for listening. If you want to support Sound Opinions, become a member on Patreon and connect with our other listeners in the Facebook group. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott, but our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, herself a graduate of Columbia College, she helmed this special podcast.